Well, praise the Lord, everyone. I greet you in the name of Jesus, which is still. It ain't never going to change. The only name under heaven given among men whereby you could be saved. Your Bible says whereby you must be saved. You believe that? Oh, thank you, Jesus. Everybody but Sister Honey may be seated. This is the love of my life. And uh, I normally try to get her to sing if at all possible. Sometimes you go some places and they already have their music already lined out. And, uh, you know, we, we had a wonderful organist for all the years we pastored there in South Bend who knew all of our songs, and older people sing older songs, in case you haven't picked up on that. And uh, we don't really like anything much about soundtracks, but some churches we go to don't really have much in the way of music, and some, I, I preached in church with four people and didn't have any music, and my PA unit was a karaoke machine. And I had to carry that around. And for altar call, I had to push the button to play the altar call song. It only lasts three months, three minutes, and it didn't have an auto reverse. So whatever you do for Jesus, you got three minutes. Now tonight, you're a little bit better hands. We, we have a piano player whose neither one of her feet will touch the floor, but she does a good job of, <laughs> of playing the piano. Amen. It's been a treat to be here, but I want the, the darling of my life to testify in just a minute, but I, uh, you know, sometimes they send me an airplane ticket, and they don't send her an airplane ticket, and so we don't always get to go if, if it's flying somewhere, and so I kind of treasure the moments we have together. Last year, due to health issues that my wife had, and uh, moving, and uh, all the stuff that we had to go through with babies being born, and there was a number of weeks that we didn't get to spend together, uh, many weeks actually. And uh, I hate every week that we're apart. If it wasn't for the work of God, it, it wouldn't be worth it at all, I'll just tell you that. But this woman is a Christian, and anybody put up with me for 40 years has got to be some kind of good person. And she, I want to honor her for the wonderful way that she raised our children and our grandchildren. And she's... She's a godly woman, and uh, I'm trying to think of something nice to say about you. I'm just saying all your bad parts right now. Let's see what I can. <laughs> Baby, go ahead and testify if you would, please.
Amen. We want to thank you. We want to thank you for all your kindnesses to my wife and myself, for your words of kindness and appreciation and all the hospitality, the sacrifice, the lovely accommodations that we've had since we've been here and, and your offerings. I just want you to know that you couldn't have done it for nicer people, and I thank you from the depths of my heart. I want to give honor to the bishop of this church, Love, brother and sister Alexander, and uh, I honor you for your faithfulness over the years. You can't have a finer name in Pentecost than brother and sister Alexander have, and I thank him for that. I'm going to dismiss the musically inclined. I'm sorry I've held you hostage long enough. I will let Sister Townley's feet touch the ground <laughs> and go minister to her children. I... Uh, I'm humbled by the kind words of your dear bishop here and your pastor as well. I have learned to not only love Brother Alexander, but it's easy to fall in love with Brother and Sister Townley. I've uh, heard of Brother Townley for a while before I got to really to meet him, and I thought he was the fourth person in the Godhead by the words that everybody else was saying. But he is so thoughtful and just so kind, and uh, I just want you to know, you churches all over Pentecost would love to have this good man and his wife as their pastor. And I don't know why God likes y'all better than anybody else, but he lets you have them. So would you take good care of them? Just love the fire out of them. Amen. I... Counted an honor to uh, have been raised in, I think, one of the most wonderful homes in Pentecost. My mom and dad have left such a high watermark I never will be able to attain. I keep trying, but uh, I'm honored for a mom and dad who helped me fall in love with the things of God. Let me just say something here. This is not my sermon, but Proverbs 22 and 6 is an old scripture that we quote often train up a child in the way it should go. That word train has to do with touching the palate. All of you scholars understand that when you touch the palate back there, uh, that's what that the word in the, in the Hebrew means. And it's, I'm not a southerner by birth. I've spent enough time in the south. I've learned how to say y'all and different kind of things, but it, it really, the way I would describe it to my children, the word there mean, that is a phrase meaning to basically to fling a craven on them, just to develop a taste in their, in their mouth for what they're feeding them. In other words, the mommy gets out the little bowl or the little jar of applesauce and she stirs it all up and says, yum, 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 yum. And she sticks it in the baby's mouth and swipes the bottom lip and gets her a little more and shoves some more back in there. She does the same with the green beans and the peaches and the pears and the spinach and everything else that she can cram down the baby's throat. But she makes a game out of it and she makes it seem good and makes all kinds of pleasant noises so that the baby will eat what she's trying to feed it. 
somehow my parents helped develop a taste for the things of God in my life. Even though my parents evangelized for 25 years back in days when we didn't even take Mondays off hardly, I never remember any of us children ever saying, is there church again tonight? Somehow we were taught and made to feel like church was the greatest thing in the whole wide world. I can't thank my mom and dad enough for helping me fall in love with church. That's one of the greatest things you can do for your children is make church seem exciting and make it seem wonderful. Amen. Is that all right? Thank you, Jesus. Praise God. I, uh, I, I want to say one more thing before I read my scripture. I'm going to have you stand in just a moment. I'm going to read from the book of Hebrews chapter 6. A number of years ago, when I first was pastoring in South Bend, I bought a, uh, a pickup truck with a snow plow on it. I think in Louisiana, you need rain plows on your uh, trucks, but I just had a snow plow on mine. And I had pulled numerous people out of the ditch on this particular day, plowed I don't know how many driveways. I had so many seniors in our church and many of them lived in rural areas that in the days before snowblowers, y'all have heard the word snowblower, uh, we just used the, you know, I would go out there and plow their driveways out because I didn't want these seniors having heart attacks trying to shovel out the, uh, the driveway so they could be at church on Sunday. So this particular Saturday, we've got like a foot of snow on the ground and I'm just cleaning it up. Excuse me. And long about 3 or 4 o'clock in the afternoon, I come by a place where they've got about, I think it was five women and one man. And uh, they were all about this tall, and they were all sleep proportioned. I think I've said that properly. And uh, one woman was driving the car. This was a Plymouth duster that was up over the hubcaps in snow in the driveway and they couldn't get it free. And four women, three or four women were pushing the front of the car and rocking it. And the man was directing how they should do, which is a good job if you can get it. Yeah. And uh, I had this big old four-wheel drive pickup. It was sitting pretty high. And I had a logging chain. It really wasn't a logging chain. I just had a chain. We had uh, like a Greyhound bus that our choir traveled on, and it was big enough to pull the bus. So it was a serious chain. You couldn't just one-hand it out of the, out of the back of the truck. You had to grab it by both hands, back up, and drop that portion of it, walk up and get you a second handful and drag that part back out and then drop it that's I mean it was it was heavy I'm not much of a man as far as being strong but it took me twice with two hand in it so I I stopped you know when you pastor where there's a lot of Polish people you have to learn to speak Polish language so I stopped and I said y'all stuck here's your sign and said, yes, sir. 
And I said, well, I've been pulling folks out snow all day and never charged them anything. Be glad to pull you all out. No charge. And so I start hooking my end around the frame that's dropped way down and secured it. And I'm handing the man the other end of the chain because I'm close enough to get him. He, he grabbed it and then he dropped it. And he said, let hand it back to me rather. He said, excuse me just a minute. Let, 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 me, let me talk to him for just a minute. And they got, so help me God, they got in a huddle and put their arms around each other like we're playing football and it's one against six of them. And I thought we, you know, we're in Notre Dame country there in South Bend. I thought we was playing football or something. I almost called them on delay a game because it was just, a, they was in a huddle so long. And finally, they broke and the guy came over to me and said, sir, we want to thank you for stopping but uh, we think we're going to try to get this out by ourselves. I said, not a problem. And so I picked up and stuck it in there, and I picked up some more and stuck it back in there and closed the tailgate and brought the top down on my, my cover. And, and I uh, went on down the road about three blocks to a local pastor's house that was pastoring across town from me, plowed his driveway out, went inside, sat down, drank coffee and had cake and laughed for about 45 minutes and had a little fellowship, told them all goodbye, got in my truck and I went by the house and the same people are still rocking the car back and forth. And the devil made me honk my horn and wave at him as I went by. And I learned right then that you can't help people that don't want help. And nobody can help you if your mind's made up not to change. But if you want help, you're in the right house tonight. If you've got a heart that's hungry for God, He can help you. But if you don't want to change, He can't help you. He can't help you. I can't help you. He can't help you. But all I got to say is help me, Jesus. Help me, Jesus. I need His help. Anybody here need the help of God? Oh, my God, we praise your name. Thank you, Jesus. While you remain standing, I want to direct your attention to the book of Hebrews, chapter 6. I feel like I've forgotten some very important niceties to say, but please understand that we're so happy to be here, and thank you for everything you've done for us. Appreciate it from the depths of my heart. I also want to say that I know what I've preached the last two times I've got in the pulpit. I also want to say that I feel very happy with what I see. I don't feel, well, y'all are easy to preach to. And it's, to me, it's just like preaching to the choir. But I know that folks are folks everywhere you go. And in every church, there's needs. In every church, there's people. And you got to get past people to be saved. But I, I, I haven't come to preach harsh or hard. You, I don't want to do that. But I, I've, if, if I could only preach to you one message, this was my last message that I could preach. If I was to preach to the church one last message, this probably would be the, the last message that I would preach. Uh, because I believe that there's a truth in this message that can help you go forward from today forward if you will just receive it. I can't help you now if you don't want to. If you want to stay right where you're at in God, then I can't help you. But if you want to move forward in Jesus, 
then, then I, I'll, I've got something that I want to give you in the Holy Ghost. Is that all right? It reads like this. Therefore, leaving the principles of the doctrine of Christ, let us go on unto perfection, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith towards God. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. God bless you. You may be seated. Lord, I pray that you'll add your blessing to the word of God tonight and anoint me and use me for your glory. I need your help tonight, Jesus. Hallelujah. Thank you for the liberty and the Holy Ghost that I feel. Thank you for the anointing that's in this house. Thank you for your spirit that we have felt already in this place tonight. My Lord Jesus. Holy Ghost has been in this house from the beginning of the service tonight. And I don't feel like he's done yet. Praise God. I want to preach to you tonight on this subject. The glory is beyond the altar. Now, I'm interested in the glory of God. And I want to see it resident. And I want to see it manifested in the lives of everyone that I love and know. I'm fearful of this message, however. And I'm afraid of being misunderstood. And if you're sick, this message can probably cure you. And if you're twisted in your mind, this may make you worse. I don't know. But all I do know is that I do have a 10-minute sermon tonight. I only have a 10-minute sermon. Everybody say, thank you, Jesus. The bad news is it's going to take me 45 minutes to get there. <laughs> Help me, Lord. I, uh, I married a, a girl that I was smitten from the first time I laid eyes on her. I went to preach for her daddy. And there it was, a nice snowy night in November, big snowflakes. They seemed like they was that big around, falling down so easily. My wife was underneath a, a street light, getting in the car, going to drive her mama to church. And uh, I turned the corner. She didn't know it was me in the car. And my headlights turned on her. And here she is. She's got her hair. She was wearing it down with a lot of them beautiful soft waves in it. And she had one of these coats with fake fur for a collar. And she had it like that as so as not to mess up her hair, don't you know, the, the, but when my headlights shone on her, I, I said out loud in the car, Oh, Jesus. If I've got to fight that while I'm here, I'm never going to win. And what's sad is I didn't even want to win. I wanted to lose that one. That was, oh, that, besides the Holy Ghost, that's, she's the most wonderful thing that ever happened to me. You know, I don't understand these people that get, married and then no longer seem to love one another that's a story for another day but uh, Lord I got a good deal that's all I can tell you but she wanted 12 children and I was willing to accept the challenge and then I got to thinking about it and I talked her down to nine and then somehow we settled on six. 
And then Sugar Booger's health became an issue and uh, 11 days in the hospital one time and 13 days in the hospital the next time. No, no sense of putting mama's life at risk. So we went out of business. So here we were now with four sons and one daughter. And somehow her maternal arms were empty and she felt like she needed more girls in her world. She had four sisters, no brothers. I had four sisters, no brothers. I was afloat on the estrogen ocean for many years. And was raised in a girl's dormitory. I, I understand all about that. But my wife, being around girls all her life, felt like it would be wonderful to have more girls. And so she talked to me about going into foster care and taking care of newborns. And so we went to the classes. And we sat there with notebooks. And we read literature. And we heard speeches and talks and went we took all the, everything except the final, what do they call it, the, when they come to the house, the home survey or something, the home study. And the reason that didn't go through is because I had my sister living with me for a few months while her husband was overseas in the military. And as long as there's any disruption in the home, that kind of puts a stop on it momentarily. But one thing that you learn about, especially if you're going to be taking newborn babies, is that if you have a baby that doesn't grow the same rate as its peers, and that it doesn't seem to progress, it's lethargic and it sleeps all the time, it never eats. If you're a new mother, I do not want to scare you. Babies will eat when they get hungry. But if you have one that's still not getting past its birth weight and it's still not growing and it doesn't respond to normal stimuli. There is what they call, it's a medical term, what they call failure to thrive. And what I'm trying to point out to you is that there is also a spiritual failure to thrive that bothers me. If you went to work for McDonald's 40 years ago and yesterday you retired, when you started working at McDonald's 40 years ago, you were making 85 cents an hour and you retired yesterday and you're still making 85 cents an hour when you retire, retired, then something was either wrong with McDonald's or something was wrong with you for being content to work at the same minimum wage that you made back then up to today. What I'm trying to tell you is in, in real life, you wouldn't be in a place two or three months without asking, when do I get a raise? How do I move up? You will not be content to remain at entry level. But yet we come to the house of God and we're content to be right where we got in at 25 years ago without growing, without developing, without maturing, and we're happy to think we're still the same. Well, thank you, Jesus, that you're still here. We can help you if you're still here. But for God's sake, let's don't be at the same level we were 25 years ago. In reading my scripture here, I would like to point out, it says, therefore, leaving the principles 
When I was in school, it was the principal that gave me all the problems. Leaving the principles of the doctrine of Christ, let us go on unto perfection, not laying again the foundation of repentance. Here's what they had. They had a foundation. They broke it up, and they laid it again. And they broke it up, and they relayed it. It's like pouring concrete. They busted it up and poured more concrete. It's talking about the foundation of repentance. The word repentance there in the Greek is metanoia. I am not a Greek scholar. I do not even wish to be a Greek scholar. I married a Greek. That's as much Greek as I want. Except Greek babies. Those are fine too. Uh, one time, the only thing I know about that, one time I was sitting on an airplane flying out of South Bend when I was pastoring, and I sat beside a guy with a, looked like a priest to me, but he had a three-cornered hat on, and a, uh, he had a, a Greek New Testament he was reading. And I have my Bible out on the stand. I was writing some notes I had to preach that night, and he said, oh, are you a clergyman? So I stuck up my hand, and I Introduced myself, I told my pastor Christ Temple Apostolic on the west side of South Bend. And uh, he made a remark or two. And then he held up his little Greek New Testament. He said, do you know Greek? I said, actually, I do. I know a little Greek and I know a little Hebrew. Oh, he said, I'm impressed. I said, well, you should be. <laughs> I said, the little Greek runs a restaurant. The little Hebrew runs a clothing store. And he went back to reading his little Bible and left me alone, which was what I wanted him to do to start with. <laughs> so, but when the Bible talks about metanoia here, that word metanoia means a compunction for guilt. Now, ladies and gentlemen, we're here because of the mercies of God. But Paul is trying to say, some of you all keep on repenting again and again for the same things. And you have a compunction not to believe that God has actually forgiven you. But because you're dealing with a guilty complex, you never will be a threat to the devil. Because as far as you can get, it's just all about you. And you're worried about yourself and, and as you well should be. But let me tell you what I'm preaching to you tonight. As a young man, I found myself repenting hundreds of times, it seemed like, for the same thing over and over and over and over and over. You get the point? Again. I would go to prayer rooms and people, there would be 50, 60 men in the prayer room and it would just be cranked and pumping and they would be walking the Lord. You could feel the glory. And I'm the only guy that with his head down, sobbing and crying. Now, don't misunderstand me. I love to pray and feel broken before God. It's a precious way to feel his presence. And if you can't cry in the presence of the Lord, I'm worried about you. But every night I spent my whole time repenting again and again for the same thing. And I got tired of it. I said, God, just one time. I would like to feel what they're feeling. 
just one time I want to feel the joy that they're feeling. I, I want to feel the liberty that they have. Is that just for them or can I have it too? I wasn't but about 16 or 17 years old. But I knew that there was more for me than what I already had. Now, I hadn't killed anybody. I'd wanted to. I didn't do drugs or drink. Never occurred to me. Never been immoral. Well, there was one thing that I probably should bring to your attention. I was crawled out of my bedroom window one night about 10, 30 or so. My mother thought I was in bed. We lived in Southern California, San Diego area, National City. And uh, I told this one time when I was about 45. It was the first time my mother ever heard me tell it. You should have been there to see my mother's face. I never felt brave enough till I was about 45 to tell it. But we were walking down the sidewalk, and one of my, guy, one of my friends said, Hey, we passed a 1940 Ford with the windows down and the key at the ignition. My friend said, Hey, Ballesteros, can you drive a stick shift? I said, Yeah, man, I'm cool. We thought we were so bad. The first clue that something was wrong was that there was a pair of vice grips for a steering wheel. You know, there was a steering wheel column and there's no steering wheel, just vice grips. But, you know, we just wanted to go for a ride. We didn't want to steal the dude's car. We just wanted to go off for a few blocks. We'll bring it back, you understand. So on a nice hill. We got in the car, closed it real doors real easy. Now, I, I was so street smart that I knew not to start the car in front of the dude's house in case it had loud mufflers or no muffler. Or if it was a nearly dead battery, you didn't want to hear You didn't want that mess going on. So I knew to put it in second gear, turn the key on, put my foot on the brake and the clutch, take off the emergency brake, pull out into the street, and get about a half a block away and pop the clutch, and then we're off. And that's what I did. I pulled right on out there. There's no traffic. I got about a half a block away, and I popped the clutch, and nothing happened. I went through the next intersection and got on down to there, and I reached over, and I tried to use the key to get the car started. It wouldn't start. By now, I've gone two blocks, and I pull it over and get it up against the curb, pull the emergency brake on. I get out, open the hood. There ain't no motor in it. America's dumbest criminals right there on my forehead. Don't act like you're perfect when you come to God. We've all done stupid stuff. It's only in the mercies of God I didn't go to juvenile hall or someplace worse. All I can say, they should have thrown me under the place. All I can say is I didn't come to God as a perfect person. I came to God asking forgiveness for all the stupid things I'd done in my life. Don't act like you're anything special. We're all here because of the mercies of God. All I can say is, God, thank you for your mercy. Thank you for your forgiveness. If you're going to spend your time coming to church, wouldn't it be 
wonderful to enjoy the glory of God instead of just coming to church and feeling dead in your spirit and in your gizzard every day of your life. I'm telling you, the glory is beyond the altar and I want to show you how to find it. I want to show you where it is. You can have it in your life. It's more than just clapping your hands and it's more than just singing memorized songs, but it's something that starts down deep in the recesses of your heart and becomes like a burning fire in your soul. Oh, somebody ought to get a hold of this tonight. Thank you, Jesus. As long as you're laying the foundation and breaking it up and laying it again and breaking it up, you never will get the walls built. You never will get the the roof on. You never will put a steeple on it. Don't spend your entire experience with God praying again and again for the same thing. You don't even believe God's forgiven you. But I said, God, just one time I want to walk in this prayer room. And I want to feel what the rest of them are feeling. It didn't happen that time. It didn't happen that week. But about the end of next week, I believe it was, I came into that prayer room. Man, it was roaring again. The men prayed downstairs in the prayer room and the women was praying upstairs in the auditorium. I walked in there. My daddy was the pastor. I walked in there. And I stood at the doorway and I lifted my hands. I had started to do a checkup from here down. Got to my eyes. Tears started coming out my eyeballs. My, got down to my nose. It got a little tingle in my, my lips started to quiver. My tongue started feeling funny. Started talking in tongues. My hands went up in the air. By the time it got down to my feet, I had never shouted. I had never danced. Oh, I had run the aisles, but anybody can run the aisles. But I had never shouted. I had never danced. But my foot come up like on its own accord. I let out a war hoop that would have made the whole Indian nation proud of me. I took off shouting, talking in tongues around that prayer room. And all the men stopped and looked at me. They had never seen me shout. They had never seen me talk in tongues. Oh, I was claiming the Holy Ghost for several years, but... I was praying the quiet kind, don't you know? Got a little quiet right there even, didn't it? They had never seen me shout. And Lord, they started shouting. Now the women upstairs are clueless what's going on, but they hear the men roaring and shouting. Lord, they're feeling something. They start shouting upstairs. We didn't even have church that night. It was just a shout down. For hours they shouted. What I'm telling you, if you can get a hold of what I'm talking about, you can be the key to revival in this church. You can be the key to breaking through in liberty in your church and in your worship and in this house and in your family. <laughs> to understand where I'm going with this message, you're going to have to understand a little bit about the tabernacle plan. Matthew chapter 3, verse 11, John the Baptist made this statement. I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance. But he that cometh after me is mightier than I, whose shoes I am not worthy to bear. He shall baptize you with a Holy Ghost and with fire. What are you saying, John? See, when you first came into the tabernacle, the first thing you were introduced to was an altar. You couldn't get to God without going by an altar. 
You've got to repent of your sins. You have to repent of your sins in order to be saved. There's no way around it. One of the greatest, most wonderfulestest feeling you'll ever feel in your life is when you have repented of your sins. It feels wonderful. Matter of fact, it feels so good that some churches mistake that for salvation. And they feel like, whew, well, this must be all there is to it. Let me tell you something. If you think that felt wonderful, just wait till you get baptized in Jesus' name and feel how, oh, Lord, you never will have felt that clean and wonderful and free before. And if you think that was wonderful, don't die till you get this Holy Ghost. First was, the la- first was the altar, then was the labor, and then over here was the holiest of holies. Don't die till you get over here where the glory is. Don't quit until you get everything that God has for you. The fire of God never fell over there. The glory never came down over there. It was over here that God's Shekinah glory was manifest. It was over here that his glory came down. I'm saying there's more for you than just an experience of repentance. There's Holy Ghost and fire. Holy Ghost and fire. There's glory over here. Don't quit till you get over here. Let's see how long ago was it, baby? A year ago, March, I decided to save. A year ago, last March, I decided to save my marriage. It was rocky. And take my wife to England. And uh, one of her sisters and her husband wanted to go as well. And then the other three wanted to go as well, and their husbands. And then her mother and father wanted to go. Cousins got in on it. My sisters and their husbands decided it would be nice. There was over 30 folks in England. Nice little private anniversary time. Now, phones don't work, or at least my phone didn't work in England. I had one that just barely works in America. And you move your head kind of like that, and you're in Rome. And I don't mean Italy. (laughs) Can I get a witness? (laughs) So we had these little family radios you could buy at Walmart. You'd go like a mile or two, you know, breaker, breaker, one nine. We had them kind of radios with us. Yeah. So here we are. Sometimes we wouldn't all go together someplace because you couldn't get that many people, keep them together. But sometimes 10 people go here, 14 go over there. And we'd all decide when to meet, where to eat, and all that kind of stuff. We would take train tours, bus trips, and we would just, you know, go see the sites. And someone go see Westminster Abbey, and someone go to Windsor, and someone to go to Scotland, or just whatever we do, take the trains, go run one day, go over to France, or just whatever. So. Somehow, one of my sisters-in-law got left behind because she was waiting on her husband. Now, I have two brothers-in-law 
that are uh, high energy and uh, they they can't stay still very long. They got ants in their paints and all that kind of stuff. They're going to go. And one thing you have to learn about all of my family on both sides, the, the people in my family are built for comfort, not for speed. And so speed wasn't what was of, of the most important. My wife's sisters, they were all enjoying the ambiance and the high teas. You got to hold your little finger out and the scones and, you know, the, the teacups and, and the, the London things. And they're looking in the shops at the beautiful lace and, and the guys are going. They're a block or two ahead. They're getting on the red double-decker buses. And, hey, we just got on the red double-decker bus. We're heading. I said, get off the bus. And I spent nine days at the back of the crowd. Don't ask me what London looks like. Don't ask me what Scotland looks like. Don't ask me what Wales looks like. Don't ask me what Paris looks like. All I saw was family behinds for nine days. I'm saying, come on, hurry up. They're going. Hey, now I get my little radio out. Uh, hey, guys, uh, they're just now coming out. Don't just wait right there. Don't get on, don't you get on that bus. I'm the oldest brother-in-law. I got a little rank, and I was pulling it. And I said, come on, girls, come on, hurry. Come on, please. There. And they're just moseying. You know, they're only going to be there once in their life, and it's a shame not to mosey. Y'all would know what Mosey is? Thank you. And I spent my whole vacation with my wife trying to get people to come on. Hurry up. Let's go. I wasn't trying to be mean. I just didn't want one of them to be left behind because they were going. What I'm trying to do tonight is you have a pastor with burden, with vision, who has hopes for revival and the work of God to go forward in this town. And I'm trying to say to you spiritually, come on, let's go. We got things to do for God. We got places to go. God's got a job to do in this town. God's got a revival and God's got a harvest. Don't just stay there forever. Let's go on. Let's go forward in Jesus' name. Anybody want to be part of the revival in this town? Anybody want to be part of the revival in this church? God's got to work for you, and he wants you to be part of it. But you've got to come on. You've got to go forward. The glory's over there. Oh, somebody praise him. John was saying, all I know to tell you is repent. Repent, 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 repent. But don't stop here. There's one coming after me. He's going to baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with the fire. The glory's not here. The glory's over there is what he's trying to tell somebody. Why would you be content to stop here? Why would you be content to stop here when the glory's over there? Sit down just a minute. I'm going to misquote a scripture. And I'm going to tell you I'm misquoting it. 
This won't even be the NIV, which is the nearly inspired version. Your Bible makes this point. No man can come unto the Father. Here's where I'm going. Except the Spirit draw him. You don't get to pick and choose when you come to God. It's an honor to get to repent. Thank God for the day that he brought you to a place of repentance. I worry about these folks who want to lay, wait till they're laying on their deathbed before they decide to give their heart and life to, to him. You do not pick and choose when God's going to deal with you. Have you ever driven down a highway? And all of a sudden, hot tears start running down your cheek. You wasn't even thinking about God. But he starts dealing with you. You could be standing at the sink doing dishes or running a hand truck through a warehouse. It doesn't make any difference. All I know is nobody's going to come to God except the Spirit draws him. Now, you can make it hard or you can make it easy. But all I know is God knows how to pull folks. You might be in a crack house you could be on a bar stool. You could be someplace you ought not to be. But it's an honor to have God bring you to an old-fashioned altar of repentance. You ought to thank God the longest day that you live that he brought you to a place where you could repent. You say, I'm here because Sam invited me. I'm here because Mary invited me. No, God had Sam invite you. God had Mary invite you. You're here because God started tugging at your heart. Thank God for a thing called repentance. Jesus told folks in his days, you did, your fathers did always resist the Holy One of Israel. They fought against him all the time. Don't you dare look cross-eyed as somebody comes down to an altar. God knows who he's bringing here. This is not your church. It's God's church. He'll bring in here whoever he wants to. And if you want to have revival, you need to have an open door for whoever needs God and whoever God brings in here. Give my man a hand here, would you please? Thank you, Jesus. When You may be seated. When Peter came home from the household of Cornelius, Lord, what's sad, I didn't pay attention what time I started. I don't even know how long I've been preaching. But when he came home from the household of Cornelius, he had, in chapter 11 of book of Acts, about verse 17 or 18, he had to explain to the men in Jerusalem about what had just transpired. And he told them how that while he was preaching, the Holy Ghost fell on them just like it did on us, he said. And read where it says, and they glorified God because on the Gentiles had been poured out or had been granted repentance. They, they didn't say, oh, thank you, Jesus. 17 received the Holy Spirit and 16 got baptized in Jesus' name. In case you're worried, I've got lots of problems. This is not one of them. That's what I'm talking about. They understood that if God would let folks repent, they could have anything else he had. 
And if God will let you repent, you can have miracles. You can have forgiveness. You can have the Holy Ghost. You can have anything. You can have healing. You can have anything else he has if he'll just hold out the scepter and say, you're welcome in my presence. But as wonderful as that is, God's got more. Don't stop here. There's more. I spend my ministry trying to get folks in an altar. But honey, that's not the last step. That's the first step. My youngest son got married a couple of years ago and I said at his wedding, I said, son, you are now at the end of all your troubles. The front end. I would tell you when you come here, you're at the end of your Christian journey. The front end. This is just where we're starting. No quitting here, no stopping here. I'm going more because the glory's beyond the altar. I'm going, oh, thank God for an altar when you need an altar. Thank God there's a place you can come. When you need to repent, thank God there's a place you can come. This is where you get saved. This is where you stay saved. This is Ballastero. Receive it as Ballastero. If you have a problem, if you make a mistake, if you sin, if you backslide, if you fall down, stub your toes, stumble, or whatever, run to this place and repent. And then get up and go on. Don't spend your life here. I call it R-A-G-O. Rago. Everybody say Rago. It's not an Italian dish or sauce. It's repent and go on. Will you mess up? What do you do? Repent and go on. The devil's going to keep you going back there again and again and again. But there's a God who forgives. There's a God who forgives. Do you understand that the book said, let him, the Bible talked about the prayer of faith, saving the sick. It said, if there's any afflicted, let him pray. Mm-hmm. The only time I see where you have to keep praying for something is maybe if you have an affliction, something like that. I don't see anywhere in the book where you have to pray more than once for forgiveness if you really meant you were sorry the first time you prayed. The rest you receive by faith in Jesus' name. That dirty devil, oh. Sit down just a minute. I... I went to a uh, fellowship meeting one time. I was independent, and I went to a fellowship meeting in northern Indiana. I don't want to tell you where it was because I didn't want to bring South Bend into this, but they had a guy from another state, and I don't want to say what state it was because Wisconsin ought not to be something you feel bad towards. But he came over, and he preached, don't ever sin. Because if you sin, the Bible says there remaineth no more sacrifice for you. So don't ever say one thing you shouldn't say. Do one thing you shouldn't do. Go one place you shouldn't go. Because if you do, there's no hope for you. Once you've ever had the Holy Ghost, you're dead in the water. Hell is your home. Do not pass go. Do not collect $200 or something like that. I forget what. And I'm sitting on the platform thinking, oh, Jesus, where do they get these quail heads from? I'm sitting beside the pastor who's old enough to be my daddy. And I said to him, I, I look up there, I've got 
five or six couples on the second row. And this was on a Friday night, and I knew they couldn't make it to Sunday without saying one thing they shouldn't say, doing one thing they shouldn't do, thinking one thing they shouldn't think, or going one place they shouldn't go. Now, y'all have angels here, but I pastored folks up where I was at, all right? Anybody ever meet folks? Yeah, folks live up there, but y'all ain't got folks here. Y'all got angels down here. And so I leaned over to this pastor and I said, Bishop, would you mind if I take the service when he's done? He said, dear God, I wish you would. He said, I'm a backslider. (laughs) Now, I don't believe in being mean in the pulpit, but I got up. When when I'm fighting for a soul, it's no no holes barred. And I got up and I said, I want to thank the good elder for coming. He drove 400 miles to get there. And I said, this man has preached with tears. He's preached with a burden in his heart. And our good brother is sincere. His only problem is that he's sincerely wrong. I said, your Bible says, I said, there is no place in the Bible for, that gives you permission to sin. Where you have indulgences to do wrong. There's no hall pass to iniquity. You can just go do what you want to do. But your Bible says if we sin. We have an advocate with the Father. I said what is an advocate? said an advocate is a defense attorney. And why would we have a defense attorney if there's no hope for us? I want to tell somebody there's hope for you in the house tonight. The book said, who daily maketh intercession for you. If there's no hope for you, why does he make intercession for you every day? I'm telling you, I believe so much in the mercies and the forgiveness of God. You can recover yourself if you want to. There is hope for you if you want hope. There is deliverance for you if you want deliverance. If you made a mistake, so what? Get back up again after you've repented and go on in Jesus' name. After you've gotten past the altar, where you get saved and where you stay saved, the next thing that you run into is the labor. That represents baptism. Just like you have to repent of your sins to be saved, you must be baptized in Jesus' name to be saved. In Acts chapter 22, verse 16, Paul is giving his testimony. And he is quoting what has just happened with uh, uh, Ananias. And and, uh, he said, And now why tarriest thou arise and be baptized and wash away thy sins? To all my religious friends who do not believe that baptism will save you. Now you have to be baptized to be a member of their church. Sounds to me like they're requiring more than God's requiring. But I'm telling you, baptism will wash away your sins. In other words, if you didn't get baptized in the name of Jesus, your sins are still on your back. And wash away thy sins, calling on the name of the Lord. Aha, you said it don't say Jesus. Well, the same man talking about the same incident. He's telling his story again. Chapter 9, verse 5. He says, and he said, who art thou, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus 
whom thou persecutest. It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. What I'm trying to tell you, ladies and gentlemen, is that Paul knew who the Lord was. Jesus is still Lord of all, isn't he? Now, our daughter is brilliant. She is also beautiful. That's a package I never got, either one of them. I married a girl who was smart and beautiful, and I gave my kids a chance. That's the best I could do for them. But here is my lovely daughter on my arm on her wedding day. Her hair is all flowing and pretty and curled. She's got this beautiful white dress on. And Sister Julie Strevel hair. Hair now was the maid of honor. And she's fixing stuff up, making sure she's all gussied up good and whatever the words are you're supposed to say about brides. But my daughter starts doing this. She says, oh, daddy, 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 daddy. I just love him. I love him. I love him. I just want to run down the aisle and become Mrs. Hartzell. <laughs> now, the name Ballestero is like a Spanish love poem. It just flows right off your lips. And she wanted to throw away Ballestero for Hartzell. <laughs> and it wasn't making a whole lot of sense to me. How can you throw away a name like Ballestero? Please, I've got a most wonderful son-in-law. Pentecost is going to hear of Brother Brandon Hartzell. He's in love with this message. The hand of God's on him. You're going to hear Pentecost. Should you live long enough? And Lord Terry, you're going to hear from him. He's a preacher. Here's the deal. I looked at my daughter. She said, I just want to run down the aisle and become Mrs. Hartzell. I looked at her and I said, I smiled. I said, well, baby, it's your wedding. You can do what you want to, but you remember this. No, no I'd have never heard of any bride ever running down the aisle. The photographer that <clears throat> I've had to pay a lot of money to <laughs> won't be able to take your picture because by the time he gets his finger all the way down, you're going to be at the altar. And your grandmas have got arthritis in their knees. And by the time they get all the joints unpopped and stand up, you're already going to be there. And they won't have time to blow their nose or nothing. You walking down aisle. Oh, Daddy, you're right, she said. And I thought, oh, thank you, Jesus. And the little kids have turned. They're already walking down the aisle. And Sister Julie's getting in place. She's getting ready to walk down the aisle. She said, but Daddy, Daddy, I love you. I love you. I just want to run down the aisle and take his name, she said. And I looked at her real slow, and she said, I know. No, no bride has ever run down the aisle. I said, oh, thank you, Jesus. She's finally getting her head on straight. And we took a few Sister Julie disappeared, and now we're coming into place. She said, but I just love you. I love you. I love you. I just want to run down the aisle and take his. And I turned her head towards mine, and I leaned it forward. Her veil was hanging down, and I kissed her forehead right through the veil. I said, baby, we will walk down the aisle at least one-third of the way and give the photographer a chance to take pictures, give your mama and his mama a chance to look at you, give your grandmas a chance to cry, 
give his old girlfriends You can look at them and go, nah, 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 nah. <laughs> and we will walk at least one-third of the way down that aisle. That aisle was at least as long, if not longer, than this from that wall to that wall. I said, then if you still want to run, you ever so gently squeeze my arm. And then with your other hand, gather your things about you. Because we will double clutch a flat trailer truck down that aisle. And we turned the corner and they played that dreadful music that fathers hate to hear. The ones you just take that little half step and you stop because you're not sure you're going to go through with this thing or not. And we made it almost a third of the way down. And people were standing. And, oh, ooh, snappy, snappy, snapping. And I felt, oh. And I looked at her, and she looked at me, and she nodded, and she bent over, and she got a handful of business. <laughs> and ladies and gentlemen, we ran <laughs> down the aisle. People clapped. They threw things in the air. They cheered. It took three or four minutes for the folks to even stop laughing. It was my son-in-law, Future son-in-law was standing there when he first saw her coming. Tears just started gushing out his face, and he started crying. I'm glad they did so I didn't have to punch him out for that. <laughs> and then when he saw us run, he couldn't believe anybody was running down to marry him. He just fell backwards on the floor. <laughs> it made the front page. Now, we lived, we lived in the hood right where our church was. My wife and I were, I think, one of two white families in the whole area. And I was in a grocery store two years later. And one of the grandmas ran into me in the grocery store. She said, you the man would run down the aisle with your daughter. I said. <laughs> My point is, don't tell me you're in love with the name of Jesus. And you're not willing to run down this aisle and take his name and baptize him. If you love him, haha, if you love him, you can't wait to get baptized in Jesus' name. For neither is there salvation in any other. For there's none other name under heaven given among men whereby you must be so. Somebody ought to praise him. Praise him, praise him, praise him. The glory of God never fell out here in the court. The glory of God was on the inside. But let me tell you, if you've repented of your sins and you've made it to the labor, it's not but 10 yards. It's not far to the holy place. Don't stop here. You're almost there. For God's sake, don't quit now. Lord have mercy. Here, when you get over here to the holy place, over here was a table of shoe bread, which represents the word of the Lord. Mm -mm -mm. Right here is an altar of incense, which represents worship and prayer. Over here is a golden candlestick filled with oil, which is never to burn out. It represents the Holy Ghost. 
and you have to be repent of your sins to be saved. You have to be baptized in Jesus' name to be saved. You must receive the Holy Ghost speaking with other tongues to be saved. Let me just say that there are things that you will learn about prayer over here that you never understood about prayer over there. Over there, you're just repenting for your sins. But over here, prayer has entered into a new dimension. There's things about the Word of God you understand over here because of the enlightenment in your spirit. Over here, it's all about you. Lord, forgive me. Help me. Save me. I need you. I need help. Have mercy. Oh, God. It's all about me, 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 me. You don't pray for revival. You don't pray for vision. You don't pray for the church. You don't pray for anybody else. It's all about you. It's me. It's me. It's me, oh, Lord, standing in the need of prayer. And thank God that when you need that, there is a place for you to come. But don't spend your life doing that. There's more to living for God than just this. The glory's beyond the altar. By the t- Here's what happens. You come over here and you get the Holy Ghost. <laughs> and then you say one thing you shouldn't say. And you do one thing you shouldn't do. You hit a bump in the road and you mess up. You say something wrong, do something wrong, and your spirit checks you. And so you run back to the safest place that you know in the whole wide world, the altar. And the devil tells you, you'll do it again. You'll mess up again. You'll have a problem again. And so you feel like this is the only secure place I know. And so you spend your life staying right here because you're afraid to do anything over there. You see, over here, when you get into here, over here is where vision is. Here's where joy is. Here's where liberty and the Holy Ghost is. Over here, you minister to somebody else. It's over here where you pray with seekers. It's over here where you're helping somebody else. It's over here where you're a witness. You're not much of a witness over there. You're not much of a blessing to anybody if you just stay over there. But over here, God can use you for his kingdom. My God, over here's where the glory is. Over here's where the power. There's no power over there. All there is is sorrow and tears. But there's joy over here. There's victory. There's liberty. There's harvest. There's miracles over here. Oh, somebody ought to get excited. I need you to read this scripture for me right there. Hold it just a second, Pastor. I I need about six men come up here and line up behind me. Anybody, just line up behind me. What gender are you, son? You're, you're still in the manhood section. All right. This is good. All right. Read my scripture, Pastor. Moreover, brethren. Yes, sir. This is 1 Corinthians 10 and 1. 10 and 1. Moreover, brethren, mm-hmm. I would not that you should be ignorant. Yeah, I wouldn't have you ignorant, brethren, he said. How that all of our fathers yes, sir. were under the cloud. All of our fathers were under the cloud. That's a type of the spirit. That's water. That's like baptism. Water and spirit. 
For everything we preach in the New Testament, there ought to be a foundation for it in the Old Testament. If you can't find a foundation for it in the Old Testament, then you ought to be gun shy of it. Amen. So, and they were all baptized under Moses in the cloud and in the sea. Okay. Thank you, Pastor. Thank you. Thank you for my notes back. That's nice of you. Here's what happened. Paul is writing to the church of Corinth. He said all of our forefathers were baptized. They went through the water experience, and they went through the Holy Ghost experience in, in type, water and cloud, water and spirit. Now, here is where I'm afraid of being misunderstood, especially because I do not want to minimize this new birth experience or act like it's not very important because you've heard me say you, you can't be saved without repentance, baptism, or the Holy Ghost. But for 40 years, the children of Israel walked around in circles in the wilderness, never going over to the promised land. And a whole generation died. They had all been in type, baptized in Jesus' name, filled with the Holy Ghost. Pray for me, I'll go all the way with him. Y'all know what I'm talking about? Now, brother, we're just going to march around. And every time I hold my hand up like that, y'all say, amen. We're going to practice. One amen. amen. That's what I'm talking about. Well, I'm sorry. One, two, three, march. I thank God I've been baptized in Jesus' name, filled with the Holy Ghost. Pray for me. I'll go all the way with him. Amen. I thank the Lord we've been baptized in Jesus' name and filled with the Holy Ghost. Amen. Oh, you got to be baptized in Jesus' name and filled with the Holy Ghost to be saved. By God, this is living. This is life. Oh, thank God for what he's done for me. And they spent their life enjoying the fact they had been through the sea and they were under the cloud and yet they never got to go where the miracles were. They ne oh, oh, there was miracles there, but they never got to go where there was houses that they didn't build, wells that they hadn't dug. Oh, there was a harvest that they hadn't even planted that God had for them because they didn't have enough faith. They didn't trust God's word enough to make the journey from where they were to where God wanted them to be. You can spend your life saying, I thank God I've been baptized in Jesus' name and filled with the Holy Ghost. But honey, just because you got there, that's still not the end of your Christian experience. That's the front end. Now that you got the Holy Ghost, God just didn't say, okay, you're saved. Sit down. You don't have to do nothing. I'm just going to put you in the china cabinet like another plate. And you never have to be worry about being put on the table or anything. Church, I, think, I love your holiness. I love your worship. I, I lo love your honor and respect for the man of God. I like everything I see about you. All I'm just trying to say is don't be content to spend your life walking in circles. Thanking God for your experience, but never crossing on over into the promised land. Never going to where the miracles are. Let's don't die here. Thank you, brothers. Oh, my God. Jesus. Let me tell you something. I walked by, come out of my office about, oh, I was over there for several hours before church one night. 
There was a young woman about 18 or so on the altar. And it was about half hour, 45 minutes before prayer meeting started. And she would just groan and crying and sobbing like she was in travail. And I walked by her. I, I'm, I'm not the nosy kind. I don't want to hear what people are saying to God. And let me just, for whatever reason, let me just tell you, don't you ever, everybody say ever, ever, ever play prosecuting attorney or ever, everybody say ever, ever. play private investigator in the kingdom of God. Everybody that I've ever met that played private investigator or prosecuting attorney in the kingdom of God had problems of their own. Here's the deal. I walked on by her thought, well, thank you, Jesus. The next service, she's there again, way before prayer time. And as I walked by, something checked me and said, listen to her. I couldn't, oh, I couldn't hear the words she was saying. I didn't even want to hear the words, but I was listening to the sound of her groaning in her voice. I'm from here to there so away. I just stopped still in my tracks for just a minute. And the Holy Ghost, I feel, impressed me saying, that's not travail. That's not intercessory prayer. That's condemnation that's praying over there. Come to find out she was expecting and she wasn't married. It was guilt that was making her pray. And thank God when you pray, when you need to pray, that there is a place where you can go. Oh, she was able to recover herself and go on and thank God that there's a church that loves you in spite of all your mistakes and problems and that you can find a God who loves you. Now, if you want to keep on fooling around, messing around, it won't be long before you're going to be gone. But if you're willing to confess your sin and forsake your sin, you're as welcome in the house of God as the flowers in springtime. And once you have heard condemnation pray. It's like you never forget what that sound is like again. Every time you hear it, you recognize what that sound is like. I prayed that sound. I know what it's like. So that's why I'm trying to say something to help somebody. You can spend your life over here or over here. I, there was a guy who got the Holy Ghost in one of my revivals. His name was Strawcutter. And uh, pastors in Michigan at the time ran about 350 or something like that. Uh, this was now 17 years after he got the Holy Ghost in my revival, and then he started a church and whatever. But he had afternoon services on Sunday. And then we'd always have a half a dozen or so get the Holy Ghost. I preached for him three or four times. And so the last time I went there, and now they would have like a brunch just before church. It would be like very beautiful paper plates, but they, they were like plastic coated paper plates with a design or a pattern, matching napkins and matching cups or glasses and stuff. Nice black uh, plastic ware. It was, you know, it wasn't the cheap stuff. It was they they spent good money on it. They had. Uh, you know, just a nice spread of things to snack on. We'd just go out after we got done with church and just pig out somewhere, but that was just a brunch. And then this last time I went there, they, 
I walked into the room, and there was old country roses, china laid out. And there was gold flatware and crystal goblets. There was the cloth napkins with the enamel uh, napkin holders. There was candles burning. It was like high tea at Harrods in London. It was quality. And so I thunked, that's a good word where I come from, I thunked on a plate and I said, hey girlfriend, your paper plates sound different than my paper plates sound. Oh, she said, Brother Ballesterell, we had Brother Gidrose come by here a few months ago and said his mama had some beautiful china and she only used it once or twice a year just on special occasions, said, and she died. And said his daddy married again and the new mama Gidrose used that china every day and now it has chips and cracks in it. She said, when I heard that, that made me so mad. I told myself someday there may be a new sister straw cutter in this house. But when that old gal gets here, this china's going to have chips and cracks in it when she gets here. God didn't put you in a cabinet, ladies and gentlemen, just to sit there. He wants you to have some chips and cracks on you. He wants to be able to put you on the table and be of service for the kingdom of God. Can I get a witness from somebody? Let me tell you, if you, if you got problems with condemnation, I can help you. If you got problems with sin, we can help you. If you're embarrassed, easy, or timid, we can help you. But if you, you don't want help, nobody can help you. You can get past here. You can do something more for God. You can move to a dimension. Don't the, the failure to thrive bothers me. It's time we go from glory to glory. It's time we grow in grace. It's time we become more productive for God than ever before. I want to believe that the best days for Jennings, Louisiana are yet ahead. Don't tell me your best days are behind you. Don't tell me your best revivals are behind you. I'm saying God's got more for you than you can ever imagine. Somebody ought to believe that in Jesus' name. You know why some folks stay over here? Because they've been lying. They've been committing fornication. Their adultery keeps them here. Their critical spirit keeps them here. They don't pay tithes so they know... They're doing wrong, so their condemnation keeps them over here. Listen, if you haven't been doing right, you need to be staying over here till you start doing right. Oh, for God's sake, repent and go on. Make things right and get up and go on. Don't spit. Don't. That devil will tell you, God doesn't love you. There's no hope for you. I've had people ask me, Brother Ballester, how do you know that God... Still loves me that he hadn't cut me off. I wouldn't dare or presume to t say anything that different or contrary to what's been preached in this church. 
But I want to believe that if God didn't love you, he wouldn't bother wasting time giving you a sermon. He wouldn't bother reaching for you. He wouldn't bother dealing with your heart. The very fact that he still loved, reaches for you to, ought to tell you he loves me enough to speak to my heart. I want to tell somebody else suicide's not the answer either. There's a God who's able to deliver from the guttermost to the uttermost. You can go to where the glory is. The best days for you are yet ahead. My God, I want you to get.